Hey, this is Mark. We have a special episode of the MMNM podcast for you this week concerning what happened on October 7th when Hamas terrorists launched a surprise attack, stormed into Israel and committed many brutal, horrific acts on innocent civilians, both in the small communities known as Kibbutzim and at a music festival and took nearly 200 hostages. And in the aftermath of the terrorist attack, as a humanitarian crisis escalates in Gaza, many Palestinians are suffering as well, either from the lack of basic necessities or worse, falling victim themselves as the two sides dig in for what could be a long conflict. From afar, amidst the haze of media coverage, not all of which is initially factual or puts events in the proper historical context, we can't always appreciate the disruptive effects of war. To gain a better understanding, we're bringing you a conversation with someone in our own industry. Larry Luxner is one of the foremost healthcare journalists who, from his home base in Tel Aviv, covers international rare disease research. Here, he offers his perspective on the war and how he's been impacted, both professionally and personally. This is part of a package of content we're working on to explain the Hamas-Israel war through a life sciences industry lens. We hope you enjoy it. Since the terrorist attacks of about a week ago uh, on Israel by Hamas, obviously Larry's life has been uh, disrupted both professionally and personally. And uh, so we wanted to um, you know, check in with him, make sure he's okay, and get his perspective uh, on the un- unfolding situation there. Larry has written for MMNM, as I'm sure our readers uh, have, have seen his byline, uh, as well as with some uh, of uh, MMNM's sister publications, where Disease Advisor and the American Journal of Endocannabinoid Medicine. You'll hear him refer to that a few times during the conversation. And he hosts some podcasts to boot. So without further ado, uh, Larry, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. And welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Uh, live and kicking here in uh, Tirana, Albania. And we'll get to that a little bit later. So you're actually uh, in Albania now. Uh, we're uh, speaking with you uh, over our uh, virtual podcasting platform. Talk a little bit about your professional role, how long you've you know been, been writing overall, as, and then kind of segue into uh, you know the Haymarket publications and, and what you, you do for them. Sure. Uh, well, since uh, mid 2021, um, I've been covering rare diseases, of course, for Rare Disease Advisor, based in Israel, but. Uh, frequently uh, writing stories about patients, about research, uh, particularly with diseases, everything from cystic fibrosis to spinal muscular atrophy, uh, pulmonary hypertension to Frederick's ataxia. Uh, We currently cover 36 rare diseases, and uh, I do it from my base in Tel Aviv and uh, have covered numerous conferences, both in the United States and Europe. And in addition to the articles, I've also uh, hosted the Rare Care podcast, and these podcasts are embedded in the text of our uh, online stories, and they frequently feature uh, researchers in the leading edge of uh, research. And this could be anything from gene therapy to, uh, let's say, uh, diagnostics, a better and quicker diagnosis of, of specific rare diseases, and uh, patient advocates who, who advocate for better lives for the patients who have those diseases, both at the uh, state and national levels. Great. And you've, uh, as you told me offline, you've probably record, recorded over 100 of these rare care podcasts, yes. uh, which is uh, quite a, an eye-popping figure. We have. So, for example, we've interviewed everybody from Dr. Adrian Craner, who is the uh, basically the geneticist who discovered uh, Spinraza, which is, of course, the a miracle drug for uh, spinal muscular atrophy. And he's with the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory out in Long Island. 
Uh, we've also interviewed, for example, Mindy Henderson, who is a, an SMI advocate with the uh, Muscular Dystrophy Association. Uh, we recently talked to Jennifer Miller, who is a leading researcher at the University of Florida, who uh, has probably done more research on Prader-Willi syndrome than anybody I know. And we've talked to Noah Greenspan, who is a uh, New York-based uh, pulmonologist, and uh, he runs a clinic for patients with both pulmonary fibrosis and pulmonary hypertension. And uh, the list goes on and on. I could go for on for for a long time, but basically, we try to find leaders. Uh, you know, I don't like the expression KOLs, but we do look for uh, opinion leaders and and newsmakers who specialize in the rare diseases that are of interest to our audience. Sure, sure. It's really fascinating, you know, kind of uh, talking with uh, these leading physicians uh, who are leading uh, as clinical investigators, clinical trials that end up as products in the market that we then write about on, on MMNM. You know, you're probably going through a, a very rough time, uh, Larry, in terms of the situation, but I would love to get your perspective on how the war is affecting you professionally and personally. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, uh, it, it wasn't easy waking up at uh, 6.34 in the morning uh, uh, with the uh, sound of an air raid siren screaming right outside our window. Uh, it, it's something I've heard before. It's I can't say it's the first time. Uh, remember that three years ago, we were involved in a Gaza uh, skirmish, which we thought was a war at the time, but now it compares to what's going on now. It was nothing. Uh, at that time, uh, we had two or three missiles strike Tel Aviv. Uh, at 6.34 on the morning of October 7th, uh, it was over 100 missiles. And when I looked at the app that every Israeli has on his phone, uh, it was covered with red dots. Literally, the, center, the coast and all of central Israel was blanketed with red dots, and each one of those dots represented uh, an, incoming, an incoming rocket. Fortunately, we have the Iron Dome, which shoots down about 90% of those uh, incoming, but uh, it doesn't get everything. And so, of course, that first day, uh, we, we were stunned. I thought, um, I thought, I told my wife, I said, this has got to be a mistake. This cannot be real. There's no way this is real. Uh, but then we heard the booms outside and then we knew it was very real. And, you know, when it booms, the whole building shakes. Uh, you know that this isn't a drill. Um, unfortunately, our building is very old. Uh, it was built in the 50s. We don't have a bomb shelter. We don't have a safe room. And the only safe place to go is, is the stairwell, which is exactly what all the neighbors do. They run to the stairwell with their kids, their dogs. Uh, in the middle of the night sometimes, the kids are crying, the dogs are barking, cats are meowing. It's, it's a real nightmare, especially when it goes on and on and on. So that was our introduction to this war. Wow. Uh, you know, this is a, a medical uh, marketing podcast, so I, I want to also ask you, uh, you know, from a professional perspective, you have a regular circuit of events that you do cover as part of your, um, you know, coverage. Talk about some of the impact in that from that regard of the meetings that you weren't able to attend. Sure. Um, the day after this war started, I was supposed to go to Paris to cover a FIGO uh, conference on maternal health uh, on behalf of Rare Disease Advisor. Uh, obviously, once this started... Uh, Almost every airline canceled flight, so that was gone. From there, I was supposed to go to New York and from New York to Washington to cover uh, the National Organization of uh, Rare Disorders, NORD uh, Annual Orphan Drug Summit. Couldn't do that either. Uh, so pretty much the entire trip was shot. I can tell you that about two hours after this war started, uh, we went to Ichilo, which is the largest hospital in Tel Aviv, in an attempt to give blood. 
And uh, so many people showed up to give blood uh, that literally people were being turned away. And while we were waiting to give blood, there were more attacks. And, and we heard the whole building shake and they herded everybody into the underground shelter of Tel Aviv's largest hospital uh, just to be on the safe side. Nobody was hurt. And then after a few minutes, we all came out and got back in line. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, I think there's a pretty good awareness level um, that, you know, that this was a very, not just a scary attack, but it was uh, in the bloodiest day in, in Jewish history since the Holocaust, or at least, you know, certainly since the War of Independence, 48, uh, and then the Six-Day War, 67. Um, and people were hearkening back to the, the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Um, what kinds of support uh, and solidarity have you heard from the medical establishment, other leaders in the, in the field? I can tell you this much. You mentioned a very, uh, I think, a very appropriate comparison to the Yom Kippur War. Uh, just the day before, uh, we should note that uh, October 6th, uh, 1973, is the day that Israel was surprised by its neighbors. And uh, we got a very nice present from Egypt and Syria. And uh, this was the worst uh, surprise that we have ever had in our history. The day before this war was the 50th anniversary of that war. TV was filled with programs marking that war and how Israel was surprised and how it will never happen again, should never happen again. And the very next day, it happened again. So you can imagine the frustration and the anger and the fear that Israelis felt that we were caught basically with our pants down and, uh, and uh, nobody saw it coming, unfortunately. Uh, there was an immediate outpouring of support and love uh, from everybody. I can tell you on a personal level, I received text messages Facebook notes, Messenger, WhatsApp, LinkedIn from uh, friends and colleagues around the world, people even in the rare disease community who I hadn't talked to in a while, uh, checking up to make sure I was okay. Um, I got notes from Argentina, from Brazil, from Paraguay, uh, even from countries at war with each other, from Armenia, from Azerbaijan, from Russia, from Ukraine. Uh, even I got notes from Cuba. Uh, people were really genuinely worried. It didn't matter if they were Jewish, Muslim or Christian. I got, uh, I got texts from colleagues in Bangladesh, uh, even somebody from the Emirates, somebody from Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, when it comes to medicine, those things don't really matter. And uh, we were very, very heartened by the strong show of support from the United States, particularly from President Biden. I must say this was by far the uh, strongest speech any U.S. president has ever given. I think a lot of this was motivated just by the horror of the images coming out of the kibbutzim around Gaza. Uh, nobody had expected such such a nightmare. It wasn't just it wasn't just a terrorist attack. It was vicious. It was cruel. Uh, I don't need to go into the details of, of how awful these these pictures were. Uh, let's just say that average terrorist attacks, you know, maybe 10, 20, uh, I mean, even 25 people. We've never had anything like this. Uh, 1,300 Israelis were basically murdered in cold blood. The vast majority of them civilians and not to mention over 3,000 injured, and at last we know 199 hostages taken into Gaza, and nobody knows what their fate is. Yeah, and uh, not only for the for the loss, you know, our hearts go out also, you know, for the hostages, you know, and, and their well-being. Um, and uh, where do you see the situation going from here, uh, Larry, given the political realities uh, there in, in Israel? Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, as you said, you know, that the country was caught uh, off guard. I can tell you this. The, obviously, the longer this conflict goes on, the less Israel will be supported around the world and 
the more it will be criticized. Uh, look, it's all a matter of body counts. Uh, it's true that usually when things like this happen, uh, 10 Israelis die, 100 Palestinians. 50 Israelis, 500 Palestinians. It's, it's never proportionate. But this idea of proportional response to me is absolutely ridiculous because, uh, you know, why should there be a proportional response? Um, you know, the, the fact is, and this is not even a political thing, the fact is that in Israel, we do everything we can to protect our citizens. Whether they're Jewish, Arab, it doesn't matter. We have bomb shelters. We have safe houses. Even if even if you have to run into a public building, uh, unfortunately, on the other side in Gaza, uh, there are not only not any facilities, but they're intentionally locating their uh, factories, their uh, missile launchers in hospitals, in mosques, in schools, in private homes, in apartment buildings, so that we are forced to hit back and kill people. And in my opinion, you know, I mean, you want to talk about ethics or, or medicine or there, 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 there is no justification for this. So uh, by that very definition, the body count on the Palestinian side will be higher. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't see any way around this. I, I know that a lot of people say this is a political problem and there can be only a political solution. I personally believe in a two state solution. I think Palestinians should have their own state. Um, however, it's important to note that those people who were killed in this attack were not political people. And if anything, they were lefties. They were peaceniks. These were, you know, free love kibbutzniks. These were people who wanted peace with Gaza. They wanted, they they, they wanted, um, they wanted a solution. They wanted to live together. And these were not right wing fanatics. They were not supporters of Benjamin Netanyahu. If anything, uh, they couldn't stand Netanyahu. And they're the ones who paid the price with their lives. You point out, you know, the two-state solution. Some some of the news outlets have said that this occurred. Uh, some of the more liberal ones, you know, probably to be frank, uh, that this occurred because of Israel's refusal to accept the two-state solution. Uh, but you know, that just seems silly given the reality that that you know it's not as though Hamas really uh, supports a two-state solution. What they want is a dissolution <laughs> of Israel. Well, uh, so I, I think we should point out also that the Palestinian Authority. Uh, people say, well, you know, this is the uh, government they chose. Uh, the Gazans didn't really choose Hamas. Uh, Hamas overthrew the Palestinian Authority uh, a year after Israel pulled out uh, and withdrew unilaterally from Gaza. Uh, so, uh, in effect, Hamas rules them as, as a criminal organization, as, as a mafia, and has total control over the lives of 2.3 million people in the Gaza Strip. Conditions are miserable, but that is not necessarily Israel's fault. Uh, is a fault of this Hamas regime that has taken all the cement that the world has given, all, you know, resources, food. I mean, even yesterday there was a report that uh, from not from Israel, but from the United Nations, from UNICEF, uh, from UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Force, uh, Relief Force Agency, that Hamas had appropriated first aid kits that were meant for uh, that were meant for people, and they took them, they took those kits for themselves to protect the terrorists. Um, I should also say that the plans were found on these on these terrorists, and I don't call them militants. I call them terrorists because that's what they are. Uh, they had detailed plans. A lot of them had worked in these kibbutzim. They knew them intimately. They knew where the uh, children's are, where the nursery, they knew where the schools were, and their instructions were to kill and torture as many people as possible. They knew which buildings to hit because a lot of them had worked there. They knew them intimately. They spoke Hebrew fluently. Uh, and so many of these people not only were, were attacked in their homes, but they were burned alive. Um, mm. And, and yeah. you know, we're talking about mothers, 
daughters, babies, children. Uh, you cannot, nobody by any stretch of the imagination can say that they were, uh, um, that they were uh, soldiers. I mean, some of them were soldiers, not on duty, but most of them were civilians. And they certainly were not settlers. You know, settlers referred to those living in uh, in the West Bank, not within pre-1967 borders. These were people living in kibbutzim within Israel proper. Uh, they were not settlers. And I have seen a lot of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of propaganda referring to them as settlers. They were not. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for pointing all that out. It's obviously a very multi-layered situation. A lot of nuance that's not being, you know, told um, in the most uh, factual way. So thank you for correcting those facts. And you know, you have to think about the mental health toll that this is going to be taking on the survivors. You know, that the, you know, even if they do live through this, um, you know, you wonder what their life is going to be like uh, now. And even people, you know, run rank and file Israelis, you know, like yourself, who, you know, uh, thank goodness are able to. Um, you know, get out of the country and but, but be safe and make sure your family is safe. Um, uh, and it's going to have a, an effect um, just living through that. I can tell you, know? you that the mental health uh, impact is is severe and profound, particularly those Israelis living in uh, cities like Sderot, uh, who have endured this for years. Uh, you know, fortunately in Tel Aviv, we have a 90-second window. When, when there's an incoming missile, we have 90 seconds to get to safety, during which time... Uh, Iron Dome uh, can, you know, presumably find that missile and take it out. Uh, unfortunately, those people who live in Sterot, they don't have 90 seconds. It's more like 10 seconds, if that. Uh, imagine living a life where at any given moment, you have 10 seconds to run for, for your safety and for your life. And that 10 seconds often does mean the difference between life and death. Um, the impact, the mental impact on our children is profound. I mean, Sterot has been evacuated. Uh, nobody knows when they can go back. Now, uh, settlements, uh, little—I don't mean settlements in the in the political sense, but towns, villages, kibbutzim, moshavim in the north, along the border with Lebanon, have been completely evacuated. In the unfortunate event that Hezbollah uh, joins the fight, and uh, and then we'll be fighting on two fronts. Uh, we're hoping and praying that that yeah. doesn't happen. Yes, yes, we are too. Tell us again where, where you are, Larry, right now, and, and, and that you're in a safe place, please. <laughs> I'm in Albania. Uh, I, I came here because uh, it's safe. It's a wonderful country. It's my seventh trip here. And um, Albania is, uh, it's one, it used to be the poorest country in Europe. Uh, it was the communist isolationist dictatorship, and now it's changed completely 180 degrees. Um, hmm. And uh, from here, I'm going to Brussels to uh, cover the European Huntington Association uh, annual conference on Huntington disease. Wonderful. And it's so great that, you know, the, the, your readers and the world is still getting a chance to, to see your byline because that's very meaningful. And, and I should I should say, well, we're going to post some pictures of this uh, interview on social, but, you know, the, Larry has a nice view of the Albanian skyline uh, out of the window there. Um, Thank you. Uh, so let's just, uh, I want to give you the final word, Larry. You mentioned a lot of themes, compassion, the need for compassion, you know, the need for support at this difficult time. And I want to give you the last word here. What, what, what do you want to say to our uh, listeners? Thank you. I want to say that um, it, it's traditional in, in, in Jewish thought and, and also in modern Israeli society. We, we, don't, we don't rejoice at the death of enemies. 
and certainly children are not our enemy. I want to distinguish between, and it's very important to make this distinction, between Palestinians and Hamas. Our goal isn't to kill people. Our goal isn't to destroy uh, the dream of, a, of, a, of an independent Palestine next to Israel. Our goal is not to, uh, is not to increase the body count. Uh, unfortunately, that is the goal of Hamas. Both the Jewish and the Palestinian body count because it serves their interest. That is not what we want. We want peace. We want an end to this. I personally would love to see our government collapse. I think our leadership in Israel has been a nightmare. Uh, we we were not prepared for this attack. Uh, the government has been focusing on on judicial reform. Uh, we have we're being led by a corrupt prime minister who's facing indictments. Uh, you know, shades of uh, what's going on in the U.S. as well. And uh, and we believe that we need new leadership that is really going to protect us and pursue some kind of final settlement uh, with with our neighbors. And that to me is long term the only solution. Yeah, uh, you know, another great uh, theme is is the need for for uh, unity and putting our differences aside. And you know, a, a divided uh, country um, is is not a strong country, and that oftentimes uh, you know leads to yeah. uh, perception of weakness. Before this happened, our biggest issue was uh, there were demonstrations in the streets of Tel Aviv on uh, on on whether uh, on whether men and women should be allowed to pray together on Yom Kippur. This was a big massive violent demonstration on Dizengoff Center. Nobody could imagine that in the space of 24 hours, our whole lives would be turned upside down, perspectives would be shifted, and actually this war brought us together. Left, right, religious, secular, Jew, even, even Arabs, I mean, these Hamas missiles and attacks are attacking Arabs. It's not just Jews, it's not just Israelis, Thais, Philippines, Mexicans, Argentines, uh, Nepalis and Americans, Canadians, Brits, French, enormous numbers of foreigners have been affected by this as well. I think there's been nothing that I can remember in my life that has brought Israeli society together at the grassroots level to help one another and to ensure that people are going to make it uh, through this tragedy. Yeah, wow, that's that's uh, wonderful words, Larry. I want to thank you again, you know, for your heartfelt perspective and for taking the time. Stay safe, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. 